Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Perhaps there is nothing more frightening than the creatures in the dark depth of the ocean. Beasts of near impossible size. Monsters that are nigh indescribable. Usually these creatures stay deep under the water, away from the light, away from us land dwellers. But occasionally, they rise to the surface to remind us who truly rules the seas. But before I get into this story of the ocean carnage, Nick... How are you, and what are you drinking? I am doing great. A little sad uh, that my days of fishing in the ocean are pretty much done for the year because of the weather, and uh, I'm consoling myself with some Coors Light. What are you drinking, Mike? I'm drinking some Eldorado rum, and after the story, you might be a little bit more reluctant to go into the ocean. Very fitting drink for a ocean story, sea story. <laughs> it's not like I planned it. It's a little fishy, isn't it, Nick? And there it is. <laughs> the tale I will describe to you is a time when the world is at war. The date is July 28, 1945. The U.S. heavy cruiser, the Indianapolis, sailed the open Pacific waters alone from Guam to meet with the battleship Idaho in the Philippines. The next day, July 29th, around midnight, on the seemingly peaceful waters a Japanese torpedo hit the starboard bow of the Annapolis. The Japanese had hit one of the most ideal spots to attack. The Japanese had hit the fuel storage tank, causing massive fires, igniting 3,500 gallons of aviation fuel. Alone, in the dark, fires consumed the night sky on the open water. A few moments would pass when another torpedo would hit and strike, this time hitting more fuel and the powdered magazine storage, causing the Indianapolis to be ripped apart, completely splitting it into two. Water rushing into the ship, the water just pulling at it, bringing it down to the depths. In 12 minutes, both halves of the ships have been dragged into the depths. Of the 1,196 men aboard the ship, 900 made it into the dark ocean water alive. But that is not the terrible terror of this story. The beasts of the deep were not the Japanese submarines. Something else in the water. And it could smell blood. Morning, along with the sun, soon came. It is now July 30th. The survivors of this attack, treading open water throughout the night. The few life rafts that made it into the water and survived the torpedo hits are filled to the brim with people. Survivors checking the dead in the water to see if they were possibly still alive. If they were dead and had a life vest, the survivors would salvage it and give it to the living. The Navy sailors of the ship quickly form into groups, helping each other float, stay warm, to help stay alive. These groups were made of large range of sizes. Again, 900 made into the water. Some of these groups were just a few, four or five, some were as large as 300. The exposed sailors began to be beaten down by the sun as the sun rose higher and higher. 
open ocean, completely exposed to the elements, food and water scarce, but that explosion did not go unnoticed. No, the beasts of the deep heard the Annapolis sink to the deep. They knew it meant blood in the water. The Kraken. <laughs> in this region, in South Africa Pacific, there's a species, a species of animal known for its aggressive nature and roams the open water in droves looking for a big night snack. This creature, this predator of the deep, would be none other than a shark, and in this case specifically, an oceanic white-tip shark. The sun began to drop on July 30th, a full day in the water. The men had been treading for 24 hours now, tired, exhausted, exhausted, cold, thirsty, hungry. Would soon find that the soon find that they were not the only things hungry in the water. At night, the sharks smelling the flesh of the dead began to feast. Feast on the dead. The living soldiers seeing their comrades next to them being torn apart bit by bit. Fins popping in and out of the water, causing more blood to flood into the ocean. I cannot imagine the terror of not being able to see what's below you, knowing that somewhere right underneath your feet, in the seeming bottomless ocean, were sharks feasting on your comrades and still so hungry. Seeing all their dead comrades being eaten in front of them caused many soldiers to thrash in the water, to struggle to stay afloat, to panic, to distance themselves from the dead. This thrashing, this movement, only enticed the sharks to look at them as prey. The sharks, not being fools, did not start with the well-able body. No, they began to go for the injured, the ones that have cuts, the ones that have bled, the ones who are truly weak. Imagine floating in a group of in open water, not a piece of land or ship in sight, and the person next to you who was cut jumping from a sinking ship suddenly gets pulled under, gasping for help and is torn apart, and everyone, including yourself, is helpless to stop it. In efforts to protect the injured and non-injured, the injured men began to be isolated, groups changing to have non-injured sailors in them, and to distance themselves from those who were injured. To buy themselves time as also, they would push the remaining dead bodies far away from them as they could, hoping the sharks would buy their time on the dead rather than the living. For those who do not know, life rafts tend to have food and water rations in order to keep up and survive. The rations were evenly distributed amongst the men. And in one tale, a group of survivors opened a can of Spam to eat. This apparently sent the sharks into a frenzy and drew the sharks straight to them. The sailors quickly got rid of it and were not even able to take a bite. Day after day, the sharks attacked. I feel like... That should be on a warning label for spam somewhere. A caution, do not consume near shark-infested waters. I feel like Mythbusters needs to come back and test that one. Do sharks like spam? Day after day, the sharks attacked, thinning the herd more and more. Everyone in the water, not knowing if today was the day they would die, not knowing when the sharks would come, and not even able to see it if they did. This day after day barrage from the creatures of the deep drew many to be exhausted from the sun, to crave thirst from being so parched, and to go mad. Some of the sailors began to drink seawater, essentially killing themselves from salt for the thirst they craved. The madness did not just affect the individual, 
as the men who were going crazy would splash around, making chaotic moves, drawing the sharks to them. And when the sharks grabbed them, they would reach out to grab their fellow sailor to try to save themselves, dragging them along into the deeps as well. Day 4. Still in open water. Still keep trying to keep your head from sinking. To not drown. Water, food, completely gone. And still completely in open water. Staying awake to keep your head above water after treading that much water, that's so much energy. Not impossible. To have sharks below, the hot sun above, hope was all about lost. The sun would continue to rise on day four, getting higher and higher and hotter and hotter. When at 11 a.m., a U.S. plane spotted the shipwrecked and the sailors. Quickly, the pilot called it in, and within a few hours, a Lieutenant Andrew Marks in a seaplane dropped rafts and supplies. Lieutenant Marks was given the order to drop off the supplies and return. But seeing his countrymen in the water and seeing the state that they were in, decided to disobey orders and land his plane and try to carry to safety as many of the injured as he could. Lieutenant Marks would fly away with a plane full of injured sailors, but not nearly be able to take all the men. The men, still, flying, still floating in the water, I imagine, having mixed feelings. Happy to know that they have been found, but still scared that they must stay alive in order to be rescued. Hours upon hours would pass. I was just saying, you know, do you think they opened any of the spam from that was dropped off for them? More hours would pass. The sun would once more go down. The sharks still being terrors to the men. It would not be until after midnight when the USS Doyle would arrive to help rescue the men and pull them from the water. Cold, wet, sunstroke, dehydrated, blown up, fighting off sharks, and starving. The men were finally out of the water. Of the 900 living that survived the torpedo attack and made into the water, only 317 survived nature. The Annapolis went from 1,196 men to 317 in a matter of a few days. That might only be five days, just a little, little under five days, but those were perhaps the longest days a man could ever feel. Us humans, we like to think we are untouchable, so dominant on this planet, but we so often forget we are animals of the land. The ocean? The ocean belongs to the creatures of the deep. I can't even imagine being on one of those rafts. That'd be terrifying, much less treading water. I'm wondering on if exhaustion just start making you not care that there's sharks below you. Everyone's like, oh, you're floating. You have a life vest. If you had a life vest and you, you still, I mean, there's still things called waves. You still got to keep your head above water to breathe. You know how much energy it takes to tread water, to do it for day after day with little sleep, food, water, and have sharks simply tearing your friends apart and hearing their screams in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day? The smell, too, of all the dead among you. I, I don't know how they made it through. Yeah, I guess that's the one scenario where someone would be like, all right, I guess I'd rather fight the Japanese again. Yeah, that's uh, as much as uh, we like to kill each other. None better is doing it than nature. We were way out of our element with this one. But I, I 
wonder what the psychology or what happened to the men after they were rescued. Couldn't find anything. I wonder if they got sent home, they were redeployed, and I wonder how they lived psychology-wise through the rest of their days. To be in such a helpless scenario for days when you spent your entire life, well, when you spent years fighting, to not be able to fight back is gotta it's gotta mess with you somehow. Yeah, that's uh I mean it's a lottery really. Well, Nick, now you know this terrifying tale of some creatures with tails. You now know the tale of the Indianapolis and the fo- and the few men who survived the shark attacks. Thank you all for listening.